It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 100 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, Nick 100 episodes in, you and I have spent probably about 160 hours discussing mixed martial arts over the last couple of years. How do you feel about that? I feel like we've made some beautiful babies. We really have, haven't we? And whatever that accent was, it's simply wonderful. It was my impression of Colby Covington's mom. That's hysterical. You assume that Colby Covington's mom is like a hick of some sort. I don't know. I I, I don't know. Probably yes. Who knows? Um, Joe Rogan and... Joe Rogan insisted it's all a shtick and he's the nicest guy in the world. But. There's no fucking question. Every, everybody that has met him in person says that. He only did that because he was he was going to get cut because even if he won the Demi and Maya fight because they hated his style. So he, yeah. out of desperation, created it. a wrestling heel character. I, I mean, it wasn't even him who created it. I think it was probably Dan Lampert and some pro wrestling aficionado that they have around America Top Team that apparently did a lot of the writing for him or still does probably. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Nick, Kumar Usman looked... Fucking spectacular against Jorge Masvidal. Rosna Mayunas knocked out Weili Zhang, caught her out of nowhere. Valentina Shevchenko dominated Jessica Andrade. You think you see weakness in my style? There is no weakness, Nick. I'm the best. That was his... I mean, I know we're going to talk about her a little bit uh, later, but that was that was more or less as dominant as um, Tisha Torres against Sam Hughes. I dominate Jessica Andrade like that. Tisha Torres dominates Sam Hughes. I make I make you look like no belong in UFC. See, that's more of the Khabib. Uh. Invicta, go to <laughs> go go. Oh yes, I don't know how to, go go Invicta. Have good have good time. She has the heaviest accent humanly possible, Nick. That a Russian person can have. I have one aunt that has that accent, and I actually like that aunt a lot. But I find Valentina Shevchenko's accent to be absolutely irritating, Nikolai. I don't like when she's. You know, I know that you don't like when she screams, but we could talk about Mackenzie Dern's accent because that is foxy. Picked up on the bad, the bad streets of Phoenix. Is that where she got that? <laughs> I, I I have no English. I work on my Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kick a box. Sometimes I I used to get a lot of burgers at Hoy Hodgers. <laughs> that actually sounds like an American uh, really trying to do a bad Sorry. Brazilian was, I know. That was terrible. <laughs> that is Nikolai, that might be uh, like your best accent yet. And you do much better ones. It's just this one in particular has a special place in my heart. <laughs> I love, and I'm saying this as someone who absolutely loves everything about Mackenzie Dern and the fact that her, her husband is like the Brazilian Laird Hamilton and is just like, it seems just like this. Yeah, he's he's just a, he's a different species of male than me. He's so he's so much better. In like Brave New World, he's an alpha, and I'm like an epsilon. <laughs> Fair <laughs> in, enough. In like every in like every way possible. And so, Kamar Usman, man, he did just oh, about. He's so great. Uh, and like his, his his press conference was amazing. He's just I'm I'm on cloud Usman, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm I I mean this is Kamar Usman. Essentially, we saw this from both Usman and Valentina Shevchenko in that they are truly living up to their potential with performances like this. These two can do this kind of performance that they pulled off at UFC 261 to just about everybody in the world. And 
they often enough choose not to. They often enough choose to take the the less, much less risky, much less entertaining, much less fun fight to watch, right? Where Shevchenko just stands at the end of somebody's punches and doesn't take a goddamn risk unless somebody runs into her and Shevchenko went at Jessica Andrade. Kamar Usman went at Masvidal and it was interesting because he wasn't pressuring in the same ways that he always does, although his jab was consistent. His footwork was a new thing that we didn't really see quite like this before, right? Where where he is constantly on the verge of finding the angle in order to hit you. His jab stays, stayed as consistent as ever. Obviously, uh, Masvidal was better at avoiding getting nicked by that jab as much as did Gilbert Burns in the last matchup. But man, did Usman set that right hand up. He was essentially working purely off the jab and Masvidal had more success avoiding the jab, right? But that doesn't mean that um, because the jab was on his mind, that he was, wasn't was going to have trouble avoiding what's coming next. Obviously, it's also a factor for Usman that uh, Masvidal was expecting the takedown. That's something else that he had to defend that Usman did not have to worry about at all. But he put the exclamation point on this one. He talked leading up to this fight about how he really wanted to shut him up, how he wanted this to be an end point to their feud. Uh, he wanted to finish him, and I didn't believe it. I think a lot of people didn't, given how Usman has performed against non-grapplers at the past, in the past. And in this case, man, he just put it all together. His jab was consistent, specifically his jab to the body. And then he found just a perfect angle for that straight right hand in the second round, shut Jorge's lights out in the middle of an exchange, and Jorge was out before he hit the ground, although uh, don't think that Usman didn't land a couple extra big shots. Yeah, I mean, he spoke about that. I don't think it was anything personal. He's just, his, 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 like, the referee didn't pull me off. My job's to go to the referee pulls me off. Um, I, what's so, what, what is so clear in, uh, also, I should note that in the press conference, Usman said, you know, he motivated me. He pushed me to get to a next level. He's like, he's like, guys got to, you know, these guys got to motivate me or else I'll win by foot stomp which I thought was a funny bit of self-awareness. That was <laughs> um, funny. But, uh, man, footwork and positional awareness and trap setting, that's the story of Rosa Yunus against Weili Zhang and Kamaru Usman versus Masvidal. If you look at where Masvidal was standing, if you look at the position of Zhang's feet when she got kicked in the head, they... They, Usman and Amiunis just so coolly and slickly forced and tricked their opponents into positions of vulnerability where their jaws were hanging out <laughs> over their feet, over their hips, bad positions, and just were able to land kill shots. Um... You know, uh, Usman had thrown that combo earlier in the fight. He had landed it earlier in the fight, but he hadn't landed it at that at that precise angle with Masvidal, you know, perpendicular and so out of position. Um, now, Yunus was throwing was was throwing the low kick, and she she low jang into uh, expect you know expectation uh, habit, and then she went you know she went high, and really caught Zhang with her with her shoelaces tied together, and it wasn't even I mean listen any head kick. Is a is a big head kick, but it wasn't. If you watch the speed with which it was thrown, it wasn't. It was just. It was all technique, and it was. It wasn't thrown slowly, but it was. I don't think that's the hardest kick Rose Namajunas can throw. It was just absolutely perfectly executed, with respect to everything that came before it, and its timing and placement. Just, just beautiful. Uh, you know, beautiful strikes against 
the highest level of competition, at least for, for Nama Yunus, for whether or not Masvidal is the highest level of competition. I mean, you can certainly say in terms of kickboxing, in terms of striking, uh, he's very high despite, you know, despite his, his journeyman record. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, right? Usman needed to have this sort of performance against the journeyman. And I, you know what? I believe everything that I did not believe about Usman before. He mentioned that his nose was broken going into the, that last bout uh, the, that, you know, where he essentially had just a couple of days to prepare specifically for Masvidal, even though he was in great shape. Apparently, the injuries in camp were a big issue. And I believe it now. I, I know my nose has been broken, and I went back to training in the weeks after that, and it was incredibly unpleasant to get hit in the nose it was there was an occasion or two there where I would actually like yelp in pain and I just felt like an idiot for letting my opponent my training partner know that I was hurt uh, in that way in the nose um, it is man it, it messes with you you do not want to get hit directly onto the nose right after you've broken it, it it's absolutely horrible and Usman you know he foot stomped his way through that decision and I understand that now because I guess the alternative was pulling out of the fight altogether and this time, man, he came in and even though he threatened, he showed the takedown in that first round, even though he took him down and, and had top position for a minute or so. Um, powerful, ex powerful, explosive takedown, by the way. Like it really GSP was. Level. It was GSP level turbo. It was a double, right? I would say when it comes to GSP level takedowns, I would say that Jimmy Crute took, got two GSP level takedowns after he yeah, yeah, was yeah, on yeah, one yeah, foot. Yeah. In this case, it was actually a body lock because Masvidal jumped in with a flying knee. And Usman just grabbed hold of right, him and, right, and right, dropped right. him to the floor. Was able to keep top position for a little bit before Masvidal made his way to his feet. But again, the threat of that was a factor. And part of what made this work was the fact that Masvidal was in the middle of ex an exchange. He was less concerned about defense, more focused on offense. Where uh, Usman threw that jab and Masvidal was trying to counter with the left hook. And Usman went right over that left hook with the right hand, clean right hand. And it's interesting because... Technically, they teach you when you throw your right hand from the orthodox stance, you want to keep your back foot, your right foot on the ground, right? You're pushing off of that foot to generate power into the right hand. But Usman just followed with his foot. Like he stepped all the way through Masvidal as Masvidal was in the middle of falling to the ground unconscious. It was, it was a fascinating punch, but it was set up with those jabs and those right hands leading up to it. He kind of threw a couple of what looked like haymakers, and I think those were meant to set this clean right hand up. Uh, although he did uh, land a couple of clean right hands in the first round. And again, Usman, I spoke about this last week, going to the body, man. That is a factor, right? It's hard to know where the, his offense is coming. And almost everything that Usman threw was a jab and a cross in this fight. He threw almost nothing else in the entire time standing, right? But because he mixed up where it's going, he mixed up the tempo, uh, and he occasionally threw that looping hook that did not land that was enough to set this right hand up, and he did a great job, man. That was genuinely impressive. I'm excited to see Usman fight again. And now, give me one, one sec. I got to stop you for a second, Sam. Yeah. While we we're texting during the fights, you had suggested that Masvidal won the first round, which I thought was absolute. It made you sound completely out of your mind. Yeah, why, I, I, I rewatched the George fight. Masvidal, what? Yeah. I rewatched the fight. I don't think he won the first round anymore, but uh, like for me, it was the leg kicks that just kept landing on Usman, and they didn't seem to have any effect. Usman didn't show it anyway, but there were so many clean, hard leg kicks that landed on Usman, which made me edge the round toward Masvidal slightly since Usman didn't do much from the top as far as damage. Um, both of them kind of exchanged strikes there. Usman landed a couple of decent right hands, uh, maybe an elbow from top position, but you're right. Usman won the first round, uh, but more importantly, it was more about 
kind of planting the seeds in the first round that led to the finish in the second yes, round. Yes, yeah. Uh, similarly to uh, how Khabib fought Justin Gagey. Um, but holy cow, just what a what a card, what a performance. And he's such a great champion. Like, I really like listening to him in the uh, in the press conferences. Now, I don't know if you saw, but him and Connor are already going at it on Twitter. Connor smells a, a nice payday, I guess. He's already looking past Dustin. Uh, saying he's got to take on Usman. But he's also suggesting that Usman dropped out of the uh, Burns fight initially, not for COVID, but because he was going to pop. Uh, and he's and he accused Usman directly of using steroids. He makes references to pimples and acne. I, It's very hard for me to understand the level uh, in, in the USADA era at which uh, anabolic steroid use uh, is pervasive in, in the UFC. Why? Why would McGregor level such a charge unless he's just talking smack? Or do you think there's? Do you think there's something to that? Because I really want to believe that there isn't. But I'm a sucker for the narrative, and I want to. I want to believe that this is an upstanding young competitor at the very top of his game and full of integrity. Uh, it's a tricky question because there have been some other people that pop for steroids at Black Zillions. Um, I I've never necessarily pegged him as a guy who's using steroids. Is it possible? Yeah. I mean, with all the money and fame that comes with this level, with being a UFC world champion, you're going to get lots of people coming at you with offers, with things that'll make you a better performer, with business ideas, etc. Is it possible that there's an expert working with Usman who knows what he's doing, he or she is doing, and who's going to make sure that Usman doesn't pop? It's possible. I don't know that we have any serious indication of it. What we do have indication of is that every time uh, there's a major fight card, and there's a big clean win, is that Conor McGregor likes to rub off of that shine, and he likes to insert himself into that conversation. I mean, it's just him being an attention whore, as far as I can tell, right? I mean, he he would get murdered in that fight. Right, that's exactly it. He is 3-4 and four in the last five years, and he's talking like he's going to smoke a guy who's 12-0 and 0 in that same time period. Like, there's there's no competition. This man is bigger, he hits harder, he has a better chin. He has more heart. He has better conditioning. He has better wrestling. He is stronger than is McGregor. I mean, there is there is really nothing I, I can think of that McGregor can do to him because this version of Usman, who is extremely technical standing, who's very selective with his angles, he's not going to run into a McGregor left hand like, like all of his victims have, right? We're talking uh, about yeah. a very different time. So, yeah, it's McGregor being an attention whore. I mean, I think Masvidal is a better fight for McGregor, and I might pick Masvidal in that fight. At 170, I think I'd pick. I think I would pick Masvidal. It's tough but. to, given the way he was knocked out. Well, they're both they're both coming off of a knockout. I mean, true, but the way that uh, the, one of them, it looked to me like he just fell down because he didn't want to be there anymore. Although maybe McGregor was actually unconscious. I, I don't know. It was kind of weird. He he had his hand under his head. It was very comfortable. As he, he was definitely there. dazed, but he wasn't slept. Right, and and Masvidal was out. Man, he was out like. He put Ben Askren out several years ago. That was, was a video. That was a video moment. game. That was a. It was a video game KO. The way the spit and sweat flew. Yes. I mean, yes. It, it was one. It was one of the most. So, it was. It may be the most solid punch, um, we've seen in a UFC heavyweight fight. As uh, far as welterweight just, fight, like. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Walter. UFC welterweight fight, um, or well, any UFC title fight, really. Just I'm not talking about how hard it is, because obviously there's guys that punch harder than Usman. Just the uh, where he, where he, where, 
where and how he caught him. It was a clean um, shot. I think, yeah. I think I think it's a clean shot. It's up there with Biz being Henderson as far as like as far as you know, as far as being a clean shot. Yeah, I can see that. And look, we got to look at Kamara Usman. He's nineteen and one at this point. I think he was very smart to lay claim to the pound for pound spot. To be honest with you, with Khabib being retired and Jones not having looked particularly impressive in several years now, well, he's also inactive and I don't right. even know if he has a contract. So like, he's I, just, I'm not, I'm not know. even convinced that John Jones is going to come back and and fight anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if Dana just goes, you know what, go fuck yourself. Like, you, you're not getting paid anymore. You're not worth all of this level of headache, and you're not worth all of the arguments that future fighters are going to give me because you got a big boost in your salary. So I would not be shocked if John Jones does not compete again. Uh, I would not be shocked if he's going to have to swallow his pride and come back to the UFC and be like, all right, I'll fight you in Blackwicks. Uh, this is a Kamara Usman who has 19-1 neck. He's beaten George Masvidal, Gilbert Burns, Kobe Covington, Tyron Woodley, Dos Anjos, Damian Maya. Right, he's got Sean Strickland on his record. Warley Leon Alves, Edwards. just for just for a boost. Leon Edwards, he beat early in his career. So this dude has, I mean, he's done everything. And whoever Jose Caceres is, who was three and three at the time, who beat him neck by rear naked choke back in 2013, that man needs to hold on to that win like gold. And by the way, just an update: that man is now 15 and 11, and he is still competing. Nikolai, uh, one and four in his last five fights, is the only man that beat Kumar Usman. The only man that arguably has been really that close to beating Kumar Usman. Although Kobe Covington gave him a bit of a run for his money, he is genuinely impressive. And I think he's got a great argument to make for a pound for pound spot. I think that a win over Stephen Thompson would solidify that for me. Um, I can't think of any active fighters right now that should be ranked over him in the pound for pound spot. What do you think? Um, I not male fighters. I think Nunez uh, still in female. Um, I hear but that. or Nunez overall, and possibly Shevchenko overall. But um, yeah, I mean, here's I th- I I think, and you know how hard I ride GSP sack, but. I I think right now that I mean obviously they're they're different generations even though we're not so far removed from from GSP but I think against higher higher level more legitimate uh, contender competition Usman has been more dominant uh, and more active than than GSP um, I think you know another one or two fights and there will be no doubt that he's that he he usurps GSP as the most dominant welterweight champion. And I think that's okay. I think GSP would be okay with that, and good for you know, good for Usman. He's truly, uh, truly great, and he's uh, he's he's earned his he's earned his place here. Now, for what's next, I don't. I hate, and this is the the stuff about Dana White and the UFC and the in fight promotion that I hate. Fucking Colby in his camo suit, like talking all that shit uh, while being interviewed with poor Megan O'Leary, who has to deal with this asshole, <laughs> like. Colby got his face broken. He got his jaw broken, and since then, the only thing he's done is is you know, uh, out out pressure a mentally destroyed fighter who's no longer in the UFC. Like <clears throat> he's if I think I think either give Wonder Boy uh, the shot at his age. Like I think he's earned it, and I think and I think it makes an interesting style matchup. I think it's very interesting. Uh, that's that's something I, that's something I want to see, and I like it when two decent humans uh, compete, uh, you know, athletically. Um, or make Colby go through Wonder Boy in order to get the fight. I don't think Colby Covington deserves a shot at at Usman based on laying on top of and and, and beating up uh, the Ty- the Tyron Woodley that we've seen over the last two years. 
that doesn't get you a shot with the pound for pound, you know, arguably the pound pound for pound best fighter in the world. I know that he gave him a run for his money. He still got his ass knocked out. Yeah, he 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 did get knocked out in that fifth round. Um, I would be much more interested in the Stephen Wondermore Thompson matchup. Although, again, Colby is the man who gave him a run for his money to Usman, right? Like no one else did. Uh, I still. But do think, we? Uh huh. But but with what we've seen since then, which is just Colby against Woodley versus the fighter that we've seen in Usman's last um, last two two fights, like do you re- like do you think that? All of a sudden, Colby's going to show up and have figured it out. Like, um, do you, I, are, I, you, are you more curious in seeing that or in seeing what happened? What seeing a, um, you know, a, a master of distance uh, karate fighter? Definitely, it's. Uh, I am. I am purely interested in a matchup next with Stephen Thompson. That is, Wonder Boy is is my ideal matchup for him. I think that's the one guy that has a pretty solid chance of beating Usman as long as he comes in there with the right mindset, as long as he doesn't come in there with the same mindset as he did against Tyron Woodley uh, over those couple of years. And yeah, he can get countered, right? And we saw that very rarely occasionally in his career where a big counter shot uh, can put him out, but or at least knock him down. But I think he's the guy to do it. I think he's got an excellent chance. You're right, between his footwork, him being extremely hard to find, let alone take down, um, landing that right hand is going to be incredibly difficult on him. You want to throw jabs at him, he's going to counter you hard and explosively. Yeah, I, I think Stephen Thompson's the guy to do it. I know he has a matchup scheduled as of now with Gilbert Burns, and I think that's a fascinating one, given Gilbert Burns' danger on the ground, given his speed and power standing. I think it's a fascinating matchup, but... That's my preference, man. I I don't think that Kobe Covington deserves it, but the problem is that Kobe Covington will be the bigger fight. It will sell more. Kobe will uh, actually sell the fight. He will talk trash leading up to it, whereas Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is just a really nice guy. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. Then I would put it somewhere where uh, you don't need to sell it. What I would do is I would – they want to go to Africa anyway. They want to put Nganu on as the, as the um, headliner – Put Kamaru and Wonder Boy in the in the uh, you know in the co. And if Usman is victorious, and he will be favored in that fight, but if he is victorious, then do Colby and Usman in Vegas after Colby's beat somebody? Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think Colby needs to beat somebody. But again, Usman picked this fight because it was an easy fight on paper. Although, as we find out now, it turns out because he felt like he could get a statement win. He really did feel that way, and he pulled it off. I think he was embarrassed. I think he was embarrassed by that last fight, and I can and I think it's within his right to get that back if he wants to. I don't think I don't think it's because it's easy. I think it's because that his performance in that fight bothered him because he knows he's better. I don't know if it, again if it was it was it injury was it timing. I don't think Kamaru Usman is somebody who's like. You know, I want easy money. He's not said no to any fights, and he says, "Well, will, he he definitely." Know. I think a big, big reason that he picked Masvidal is because of the payday. And like, let's face it, worst case, if if there's his plan B, even in this matchup, right? If Masvidal was roughing him up standing, he could go for takedowns and he could get them. So there was like there was an ease to this fight, as we saw in this matchup, right? Like he believed it was on the easy side for good reason. Judging uh, yeah. on the result from the first fight, judging on what he was able to pull off this past Saturday night, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah I, I do think it's a part of it. I think money is in, is a part of it. I don't blame him. He wants to make two or three million dollars versus yeah. you know a million dollars versus uh, versus somebody like um, Stephen Thompson, where there's more risk and much lower reward. I don't blame him for wanting right. to take care of his family at all. But you know that's the thing is that the UFC forces these fighters to have to do that. 
So Nick, what are your thoughts on what comes next for Jorge Masvidal? Obviously, he's coming off of two losses in a row to the champ after three wins over some, you know, some very bottom of the rung top 15 level competition. What would you like to see him do next? At his age, with his experience, he's a payday only guy. So he's going to take what he's in the Nate Diaz territory. So he's either going to take like insane action fights uh, or he's going to fight other journeymen uh, or he's maybe going to play, you know, be a, I mean, the thing is like, why does Masvidal take a fight with Luke? You know, like why would, why would he, why would he do that? Like, it's not a lot of upside. That's a fight in which the BMF title could be on the line, but Luke, you're right. He's got no name. Like, he's not, not going to bring it. Not, yeah, there's not. Right, right. The fight, the fights for Masvidal are the only guy who's in. Who's he's not going to fight Covington because that's a horrible matchup for him. Yeah. Plus, it doesn't make sense now unless Usman uh, roughs up Covington again. Yeah, he'll end. Yeah, he'll end up on his back the whole time. Uh, Chiesa and Luke, too dangerous. Um, oh, did he already fight Chiesa? The old version of Chiesa. Yeah, this was at 155. They fought years ago. Kiesa hurt him at some point, but Masvidal ended That's, up submitting him. Yeah, when Kiesa was very susceptible to getting choked despite his jiu-jitsu skills. So right. this this new this new backpack for the new Michael Damian Maya Kiesa is not <laughs> like is not somebody that Mas, I don't think Masvidal wants to fuck with. Um, I, I think it's I'm, actually pretty simple. I think he's going to go for either McGregor. Yeah. Uh, depending on what happens with Poirier and, and, you know, if McGregor loses to Poirier again, I think that's the obvious matchup. Uh, Nate Diaz is always an available option for him, right? That's yep, an easy ex- one. Same, exactly. Same thing. Lawler, and, I mean, maybe, but it's like, I don't want to see, I just don't want to see that. I don't want to see Lawler fight again. Yeah. I mean, Lawler, they're also teammates. I'm not sure that they'd be, or they used to be teammates. Right, I should right. say, I'm not sure that they'd be willing to fight, but I, I, I don't see why not. Although again, like I guess Robbie Lawler could be a setup fight for Masvidal. If the UFC likes him and wants him to continue bringing in revenue. And I will say another fascinating matchup, uh, the loser of, and I guess it, nobody wants to see the Steven match, Steven Thompson rematch. And I don't think Masvidal would take that fight, but maybe if Gilbert Burns loses to Thompson, then maybe that's the matchup to make. Maybe still, I don't. I still don't think there's. I still that that's a fight that Masvidal takes if he wants to be a champion. Gil, Gilbert Burns is not going to drive. Like right now, that's every true. fight for George Masvidal is red. It needs to be red panty night. Like somebody along with him. Like Edwards is the clo is close, but it's McGregor Diaz. That's all. That's really you know. I think all he has. All he has left. McGregor you know, maybe, and Diaz, I think, I think you're right. Those maybe are probably if like if they want to if they want to go bonkers, Gagey, like do it at a catch weight. Everybody gets paid. Like that's those are the fights that Masvidal is looking for. Those are those are money fights against proven draws that are gonna they're gonna put millions of dollars in George Masvidal's pocket, and he's not gonna spend probably not gonna spend a lot of time on his ass. Yeah, yeah, I'm there with you. Uh, let's dive into the co-main event. This was the fight that I was most excited about, and the fight where I felt there was the highest chance uh, of yeah, a yeah, uh, yeah. of of, of the know. champion giving up their title. I actually picked Rose Namajunas last week, even though I ended up inching toward Weili Zhang, assuming that Weili was going to be able to take over in the third, fourth, and fifth round. But here's the thing: we saw Weili take that same head kick against Yuani and Jacek. I think it was in the, maybe in the third round of their last, uh, maybe in the second round, actually, of their 
uh, of their fight a year ago, and she took it, and she 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 was rocked for a little bit there, right? And Joanna won uh, that round, if no other, very very clearly. And then Rosanna Yunus was able to land it, and not very much happened, right? We didn't see a whole lot of setups. What we did see was Rose cutting the angles that I expected her to, uh, Rose pumping the jab like I expected her to, and Wei Li throwing lots of leg kicks, which is what she does when she has distance to play with. And then Rose just kind of threw up that head kick. Um, I actually rewatched that finish as we were talking, Nick, and I didn't really see Wei Li squaring up her stance. She was in her fighting stance. She just did not defend it properly. And this is something that I teach uh, when I when I teach technique all the time is if you're going to defend a strike from your left to right side, you don't want to have that forearm out there like a foot away from your head. You want it to be nice and tight against your head because uh, cer- certain strikes will sneak past that kind of outward uh, uh, perimeter that you're setting for yourself. Uh, Whaley didn't have her hand in the right position. It's funny because not only did Joanna land that head kick on her in the last fight, Rose finished her this fight. There's some sparring footage, just kind of having fun sparring footage out there of Whaley Zhang with a Muay Thai world champion and the exact same kick lands for him as well. So it just seems like this is a hole in Wei Li Zhang's game that she should address. And it's interesting because she spoke about how she has really focused on improving where she is open. Um, and it's funny, I talked last week about how she's open to that left hook, right? That left hook uh, would land on Wei Li Zhang's right side, the exact same opening that was available for Rose with the head kick. So that's that's definitely something she's going to need to address. What were your thoughts on this performance, man? Rose Namajunas looked pretty great for a minute it's and a remarkable. half. remarkable. It was, I mean, that Rose was just so prepared. Her, her, movement, uh, her movement was terrific. If you're fighting an aggressive super athletic you know bull of a fighter it's not that Zhang isn't isn't technical it's just but she's not very um she's not very devious or like elusive she's not crafty uh at all and um rose was just i mean that was a martial arts performance you know she wasn't she was never that she was never there to get hit she played it she played a chess game and got Zhang thinking about certain things, got her into automatic body movements, and uh, lulled her into, you know, into not just the defensive exposure you're talking about, but as I said earlier, her le- if you look at where her legs are when that kick goes up, it's almost like her feet are tied together, like her shoelaces are tied together. She's standing in a horrible position, so that it was really her position, I think, more than the 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 power of the blow um, that resulted in, in, in her getting knocked out. But Rose is the one that created the confusion that got her, you know, got her in that poor, poor position. So I, I just think it was a, I mean, that was, that was just like a master class martial arts performance. Like it well, doesn't get, it doesn't get any cleaner than that. I don't know. It's tough to say it's a master class martial arts performance because how, I th- the the argument like it's not like Rose broke her down, set it up brilliantly. She didn't have the chance really. It was such but a she, short but fight. She did. She it, threw. She threw. She got her used to used to eating those leg kick, leg kick, leg kick, leg kick, and and that's what if you watch the positioning of Shang's legs, she was moving like she was expecting to get kicked in the leg again. Like look at where her feet are when she gets when she gets kicked in the head. She. I mean, it's, I know it's, it's, I'm not trying to sound profound being like, you get him to think low and then you go high, but like, that's, I think that's what Rose did to her. 
I, uh, I didn't see it that way. Also, how many leg kicks did Rose land? I didn't realize that she landed bar, very many uh, leg se- kicks leading up to several. that finish. At least, did she... it, it, at least four, four or five. I mean, yeah. If she, I mean, I mean, she landed. She landed five strikes. I think she landed seven strikes. Period, including the finish. And uh, granted, it was a short fight. It's it's possible that she got a chance to do that. I'm quickly going to rewatch. Quickly going to rewatch the the first like minute or so of this fight. Um, Where and is maybe it? Right. I'm going to rewatch. I'm going to rewatch yeah. it too. Where's ESPN Plus? Where can I rewatch it? Uh, I mean, ESPN Plus. I'm going to actually send you a very very legal paid for link, Nikolai. Send it to me because I did pay for the fight. I just don't know if it's gonna, if it lets me watch things I paid for right away. Oh, I actually wonder. I I, see, I, I doubt it's going yeah, it to. Yeah, it seems like it does. I think it, yeah, it's here. It's letting me pay for it. I mean, it's letting me. It's letting me watch it. Oh, that's great. Got the audio off. Let me find the Rose fight. Should be right around here. Nope, that's the championship fight. I also thought, just to be fair, I thought that Rose and Zhang should have gone on uh, before uh, Shevchenko. Just because um, they always, just they always the do weight. it by weight. They, yeah, they did. Like, come on, stick to a format. Like, so I see uh, Wei Li landing an inside leg kick. And wait, that's probably the first on. strike I'm, that I'm lands get, in the fight. I'm getting to the same thing. I'm watching. I'm starting the fight now in real time. So, and the fight only goes on for like a minute and twenty seconds, right? Right. And I'm seeing Wei Li landing multiple leg kicks and Rose only throwing jabs so far. And we're about uh, 40 seconds in. What? Yeah, yeah, hang on. Slow, slow down. I'm a few seconds <laughs> Wei Li lands another leg kick as a counter to Rose's jab. So it seems like Wei Li was ready for Rose's jab. Nick, not a single kick from Rose Namajunas before the head not kick yet. knockout. There it is. Not a single kick from Rose leading really? up to it, but yeah. But I will say the movement. Um, she kind of almost faked the jab before throwing the the head kick, and that's really all she threw leading up to the head kick finish. That's the thing. Rose didn't really like. That's the thing, right? If that shot hadn't landed, if it had landed, you know, maybe with the tip of the foot, it wouldn't have caught her. This fight could have easily gone either way. It's not like Rose was completely demolishing her, piecing her up, setting up that head kick, and then finished her out of nowhere. You know, it looks to me like it was she caught her. It was not uh, not dissimilar from the way that Junior Dos Santos caught Cain Velasquez in their first fight, even though Cain Velasquez was clearly the better fighter. Although, don't but get me watch wrong. Watch where Zhang's feet are when she gets hit. Well, Zhang steps back with her left foot to almost brace herself uh, for what, you know, I don't know if she was expecting the body kick or the head kick, but... You know, by no means did Rose set it up with leg kicks. You know what I'm saying? She may have set it up with a jab. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I, apparently I lied about that. Yeah, um, and 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 that's the thing. Like, it, it was just it just finished so early that it's hard to really tell how this fight would have played out. Although what we did see was Rose again cutting her angles. Her footwork looked really solid. She did take several leg kicks. In fact, I think the only things Rose landed was the knockout shot and the follow up shots. After that, Wei Li Zhang landed several leg kicks leading up to the finish. And it's unfortunate for Wei Li where she seems just like a really positive, honest, solid human being. And she couldn't, you know, she she didn't realize that she was knocked out completely because what she remembers is that she was fighting and then suddenly she's on the floor and she's fighting and the referee stops it. You don't remember the knockout happening to you. You know what I mean? It's not like it was intentional on her part where she went completely out and then wanted to protest it. Um, 
and and then you know I, I don't know if she got to really see the uh, the replay. I think it would be interesting to see her after a loss because there's we've seen fighters take losses well. Like Jorge Masvidal basically said, he's got my number, man, which to be honest, I have some trouble with because he's basically saying like he is superior to me, period, in life, and I have no way of beating him. Like once a fighter admits that kind of mindset about the champion, uh, you know, it, it's it's worrying about the trajectory of their career. But in this case, it's Whaley didn't really admit that she lost fairly. She still felt it was stopped early. Uh, I wonder if she had had a chance to watch the replay and uh, and realize that she was knocked out pretty badly. Yeah, I mean, I think in her follow up communications, she made that made that pretty clear. Oh, did she? Uh, okay, that, that that's good because I didn't really see any post fight interviews. The only one I yeah, saw was no, she she wrote on Instagram. Um, oh, great. Okay, that, that, that's that's really good to know. And, and that's the thing with Rose, right, in that we've seen her hiccup against Tisha Torres, Carla Esparza, Carolina Kowalkowicz, Jessica Andrade. Those were the four fighters that have wins over her at different points in her career, and they're spread out. She always gets a winning streak of three or so fights. That she's 11 and four. So, I mean... It, it really is. And if you look at her record, Nick, it's fascinating. She... She lost to Tisha Torres. She was two and one. Then she wins three on the Ultimate Fighter, loses to Carlos Barza, wins three, loses to Carolina Kowalkowicz, wins three, loses to Jessica Andrade. This is her second uh, win in a row. Does that mean she's going to defend the title once and then and then lose after that? It's it's fascinating how her trajectory right. is going. But not, I mean, not necessarily. It just depends. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, look, here's here's what I will say about Rose's craft in this matchup. Do I think that Trevor Whitman saw the head kick open? Yeah. Do, do I think that he told her to throw it? Yeah, I, I can definitely buy that. But did she truly set it up in that fight? I'm not as sure. Although, again, it does look like she could almost be throwing a jab as she switches feet for that head kick, which is a good setup for the left head kick in my in my experience. So Rose did a great job. It's hard to tell who the truly better fighter is based on the minute and a half that we got to see in that one. But uh, look, I expected Rose to look really good for the first two rounds, and then I expected Whaley to slowly start inching away over the course of rounds three through five, and uh, it never never got there, man. Rose I thought- she, I thought she would be. In, I thought that she would be incredibly durable and very difficult to put out. But a perfectly placed shot when a opponent is, um, I, and I still maintain, like not in the best position to take it defensively or, you know, with their feet. I mean, her head was out in front. Um, anybody, you know, anybody can get knocked out. It didn't seem like that. That head, you know, that head heavy of a kick. Uh, no, and, and it seemed like it landed with the foot, but man, if you get your hip into that kick, it can really have an effect, and Rose has probably thrown that kick 10,000 times by now. Um, you know, th- that that hip explosion is kind of tapered into her style, and again, I spoke about last week how Rose's athleticism is always underrated. She's a really athletic girl. She's not as strong as Whaley, and she probably doesn't hit as hard with her hands, just pure knockout power, but man, is she like athletic. She's fast. She's 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 got some of that, uh, some of that fast twitch muscle fiber although she doesn't look particularly dense or muscular um and and so like do you expect a rematch to happen here nick or would you like to see way lee uh have a fight in the interim um there's so many interesting fighters at this division uh i don't i don't feel immediate rematch i feel like uh i feel like one uh and rematch let me look at the rankings real quick um because i had some thoughts i had some thoughts in mind and then i uh you know, I forgot them. I mean, Joanne is coming back. It's do you do do you run back 
So at uh, versus Jag, and the winner I don't, gets I don't Rose. See, that, uh, oh, versus I mean, yeah. I mean, that's an I mean, option. I would definitely got, say it's an option. It would be weird if it's a three round fight though, because it kind of just becomes a oh, crap that's shoot. A, that can't. That's not a. You can't do that as a three round fight. You do that as a. I mean, do well, it as a big think fight, as a fight. A Rose fight lost. Rose lost mm-hmm. by knockout. Lost the title to Jessica Andrade. Right. In yeah. a five round fight, I favor Jessica Andrade to this day. In a three round fight. I favor Rose, and that's why I picked Jessica Andrade in their first fight, and that's why I picked Rose in their second fight, um, and and like that can make all the difference. And unfortunately, there's a good chance that Joanna versus Whaley too might end up being a co-main event on a on a decent card. In which case, it's not gonna be five rounds. But I would love it for it to be, headline. Or it could be, great. or it could be a fight. I think that's the I think that's the fight that you have to do. It's a rematch to a fight of the year. It has to be five rounds. Um, it'd be Joanna's last shot, really. Uh, I think at getting the chance. Now, the other thing is you've got, I mean, you've also have an, another, you know, a Chinese fighter, Jean uh, Jonan um, is fighting Carla Esparza. She's in the top five. Uh, Esparza's up there again. I don't think uh, it's weird. I don't think Esparza is going to, is going to uh, can beat any of these top three ladies. So that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, so now there's certainly a possibility, but yeah, I don't think. No, no, I mean, any of, I mean, the top three. Car- got she, it, got I'm it. I'm looking. Um, so, but then you've got. I don't think you know. I think Waterson has kind of had her shot. You've got you know Dern, Hibas, a resurgent Tisha Torres, and, and Marina Rodriguez all again with young young uh, Jonah. I think Claudia Gadelia. Like next generation. I think I think Gadelia's. I think she's done. I don't think that we're going to see I don't disagree, else. but that might be the perfect uh, kind of reintroduction to Whaley to her winning ways. Yeah, I mean, uh, she's, coming off of a, she's coming off of a loss. I think that's a too big of a step up for Claudia Gadea, who won a decision against Rena Marcos, stole a decision from Angela yeah, but Hill. The UFC's not worried about fight. Claudia Gadelia yeah. and her future, right? They they would make her a setup yeah. fight for Whaley. So I think I think that makes sense. Otherwise you have somebody like Marina Rodriguez with whom that would be an exciting fight. Um and you know that would be guaranteed fireworks in that one. But yeah, I would say or, either either a rematch you, with Joanna or Claudia Gadelia. It would be you my You wanna get wild? Choice. You want to get yeah. wild, man? You Go fast track it. Mackenzie Dern and see real, see where she's at. Because if if Dern Jeez. loses, yeah, if Dern loses, that's okay, you know. And then you, and I think they look at Dern as a real prospect. I wonder if they'll do that. I would be interested in the matchup because it would be fascinating to see those two styles match up. But I would be somewhat surprised if they just. Uh, I think they see Dern as a promotable fighter. It's part of the reason they're given. They gave her somebody like Nina Nunez, who, by the way, is a solid fighter, but on paper not super dangerous to Mackenzie Dern. Uh, even standing up shouldn't be a major danger to her. I, I, look, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I would be very much into a Joanna rematch because it, it was a phenomenal fight. And I would be into a Claudia Gadelia rematch. I think that would be kind of the nail yeah. in the coffin on Claudia in the top 10. Yeah, and I think they'll probably, what they'll probably end up doing is matching up Mackenzie Dern with Michelle Watterson. Yeah, I'm 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 very comfortable with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then we had Valentina Shevchenko, another one who really Oof. lived up to her potential in this matchup. We don't always see her doing this. We saw her uh, kind of really put the foot to the pedal in her last matchup against Jennifer Maya. After Jennifer Maya clearly won that second round by getting top position and keeping it. And in this matchup, uh, the thing that uh, people thought where she had a weakness was if she got taken down and she had to work off her back, she put Jessica Andrade into that exact same position and. 
was able to get that top position from the clinch repeatedly and able to do well against her. She didn't want to take the risk of Jessica running at her with bombs, and so she had to counter. And she actually took, if you think about it, the the, the less risky approach to this fight as she normally does, but she was aggressive, she was offensive, and she was able to get her out of there with that crucifix. It's actually her second crucifix finish in three fights. Uh, she did the same thing to Caitlin Chukagian, uh, a little while ago, and yeah, I mean, she she looked good. It's great to see her truly living up to her potential. And like, I don't know that we have to talk a whole lot about this, but what, like, what is next for her? Lauren Murphy, I, I think, is probably the only matchup that makes sense. I, well, it's just like, do you want to do? Is that fair to Lauren Murphy? Yeah, she like, wants it. She's a she's won yeah, several in a row. I, she's she's a won more in a row than any of Valentina's opponents over the last couple of years. So there's yeah, nobody that deserves it more she's than not Lauren. Gonna, she's not going to have anything for her. Neither is Calderwood. No, nobody um, is though. You know, I mean, you know, Vivian Arojo is is an interesting prospect. Miranda Maverick on the way up, but at, she's just, you know, she is to use a term that Usman used, like she's la- she's lapping the division. No, like, no doubt about it. She really is lapping the division. Like, what are the, you know, what are the interesting fights? I thought that the fun thing to do, if, if I thought Jang against Shevchenko would be, it would have been interesting. I don't think that anymore. If if Zhang had beaten uh, Rose, yeah. If if Zhang had beaten Rose, you know Rose has has plenty to do still. She's still just eleven and four. I don't want to. I don't think Rose against Shevchenko makes makes any sense. You know Nunez Shevchenko. No, they're also again, friends but, and they used to train together. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nunez Shevchenko, like I'm always interested. But what's Nunez going to keep taking that fight until she loses? Like she's done. She's done it twice. I. It's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. Like Valentina's ha- Valentina's had her, she had her two shots at, at Amanda Nunes. Like, what's the incentive um, for for Amanda for to take it? I mean, yeah. just that Amanda has nobody else to fight. I would think, and the UFC would probably try and entice her to take this matchup. But again, we have to, you know, like at this point, Amanda Nunes is in the Dominant. same territory in a much better division, arguably is in the same territory as Shevchenko, where she now has to fight a person who's on a one fight winning streak, who, you know, who's ranked number six because she's beaten just about everybody else. Although if you think about it, uh, Yana Kuniskaya and Arena Aldana, Aspen Ladd, all ranked above uh, Juliana Penny. Juliana Penny just made the most noise. But yeah, look, sooner or later, I think that much makes sense. I think in the meantime, Lauren Murphy's uh, what's on tap for her. Outside of that, I don't know if they're willing to make that Amanda Nunes matchup in the near future, but we can hope that girls like Talia Santos, Miranda Maverick are given the opportunity to actually work their way up into this matchup. Viviana Rujo, who you mentioned earlier. It's going to take time. It's just yeah. there. It's going to, it's, I just don't, it's hard. You. I mean, you've talked, I mean, talked about just cleaning just cleaning out the divisions it's yeah. uh so i mean lauren murphy is someone you know she's lost to um she's lost to chikagian um i like lauren murphy i just uh you know she beat roxy i guess you know she's coming off of wins against liliana shakarova and Ro- roxanne mataferi in a split decision against andrea lee it's like, is that the, is that the resume? And, I mean, and that, that is a way better resume than anybody that's after faced losing, after, in after, literally after years. Losing to, after losing to Sajara Eubanks, that's not a better resume than than Jessica Andrade has, somebody that, that knocked out Rose Namajunas. Jessica Andrade uh, in her last few fights uh, against, is, against She was uh, one and two leading into this fight, Nick. Come yeah, on. Yeah, like, against uh, – Stan, use your brain. Against top fight competition, not against, God love her, Roxy, a fighter – Wait, I'm not done. 
Lily, Lilia Sharikova, who doesn't have who doesn't have a Wikipedia page, and uh, and Mara Romero Barella, like and she lost like great. Who would you who would you match up Shevchenko with? I mean, I Lauren Murphy. I just don't think it's that. I don't. Why the hell are you fighting it, Nikolai? You're a goddamn contrarian. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not fighting it. I'm just saying that, like, you can't compare Lauren Murphy's. At Lauren, what Lauren Murphy's done setting her up Lauren as a, as a marketable, as a marketable realistic challenge to the throne. Andrade, the Andrade narrative, based on the co- level of competition she's faced, was a was a stronger narrative than Lauren Murphy has. No doubt about it. But I'm just saying she is a girl on a legitimate win streak in a division where yes. nobody has a legitimate win streak. In the weakest, the in like the, in the weakest division in MMA. Uh, definitely not the weakest division of MMA. We still have heavyweight, buddy. What? Come on, light heavyweight. Although light heavyweight is definitely improving. Light heavyweight, I would say, you is think, probably better. You think he, you think heavyweights now. weaker than women's one than women's Hell women's yeah, man. Come on, come on. There's like three good fighters at heavyweight. Uh, maybe two or three prospects on the come up. Although right right now it's in a pretty good place when it comes to prospects. Here's the thing: there's a couple of prospects in this division, right? Uh, Miranda Maverick. We mentioned them earlier. Talia Santos. I guess Antonina Shevchenko could be seen as a prospect as nah, well. I mean, not really. She's extent. never going to wrestle. Fair enough. Viviana Arujo. Like there are some prospects on the come up in the division. It's just a matter of allowing the division to play itself out. I would love for Valentina whether she fights Lauren Murphy soon or not, because Lauren Murphy's not a young lady, right? If she's going to get a title shot, it's going to happen now. But I would love to see her take it a year off and let a couple of contenders work their way up and get the experience they need to really have a shot against her because this is like the demetrius johnson situation years ago where everybody he's going to fight also at 125 is just not ready to fight him until they until they are i mean cejudo you know got blown out and then and then became triple c um but yeah, i don't see anyone with a cejudo pedigree uh on the way up but man i'm looking at and at, at a neutral site ranking mma at the top 10 men's heavyweight fighters and I I match them against them up against the top ten women's flyweight fighters. I think you're out of your mind. I think that the yeah. I think that the when you have an Alexander Volkov at number six, uh, again this is this is like real rankings, not marketing rankings. Uh, and so no, you're you're making a good point. Uh, well, here's what I'll say: we have uh, as far as legitimate heavyweights, Miocic, obviously, and Ganu, Blades, uh, Lewis, Lewis Gan, Volkov. Volkov. Rose's Rosen strike. strike, and that's it, I Do- believe. No, oh, you don't think Dawkins, Sakai, Tybura, well, and, the, and Dawkins is a Dawkins is a Miranda Maverick. Uh, he's a he's a uh, uh, what's her name? Viviana Rujo, kind of up and coming fighter. Charlie sure. Santos, right? Like he, he's he's more in the prospect range. Whereas we do have established. You're right. We have established heavyweights who are legitimate in that top five. Maybe top six if you had to reach a little bit lower. Uh, but but yeah, you're right, making a fair point. As of right now, heavyweight is actually looking a little bit better. You got 19 and 20, Romanov and Espino, who we just watched. Like you put like, I mean, I'll take yeah, Romanov but the, those and Espino are, over Those are, again, Macy very Barber, young prospects like, who haven't fought anyone yet. But no, I, uh, I, I'm on Espino's the same page a young, you Espino's a young 40. <laughs> yes, this feels a very, very young forty. He he makes most thirty year olds look look old, man. Um, that guy's something else, especially with the way he looked in that third round. But but yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a a solid performance by Shevchenko. We're not going to see her truly challenged unless she fights Amanda Nunes. It's that simple, right? If she yeah. needs another fight in the next few months, it's going to be Lauren Murphy. I hope that she takes that fight in a, in like eight nine months, right? 
uh, allowing some of these girls to work their way up and then takes another eight or nine months off after that, which would give a couple of these prospects uh, kind of a way in to figure out. And then she has a couple of fights lined up and hopefully a couple more prospects can come up. But this is what's happening in this division is that it's it's a weak division, right? And it's not really figuring itself out. We have a lot, a lot of these girls getting title shots with one or two fight winning streaks for a good reason. It's not a great division. And you made a good point. As of right now, it might be weaker overall than is heavyweight. Uh, and and then, Nick, we have the uh, Chris Weidman-Uriah Hall matchup. I mean, it's it's been interesting following him on following Weidman on Instagram uh, and all the follow-up and like people. On, it's been fascinating because first his wife posted and he looked stoned and on pain meds and eating french fries and then mm. the next morning he was like i can't even use my phone very often because the f- pain is so bad and he's been documenting you know the successful surgery and but, but also he was attacked online everyone was like trying to remind us that he celebrated anderson silva doing the same thing which isn't exactly true he celebrated a finish he didn't understand the severity of the injury and when he did he that everything in the cage changed but unless you're unless you're in the moment in the cage and understand what it you know what, what that what that's like there I don't think anyone can judge him I think no, Hall, Hall's response was awesome my question for you as a martial artist is which of the following happened poor technique from Weidman I hate to blame it on him but poor technique from Weidman subtle and effective defense from Hall or freak just a freak uh, accident perhaps you know based on his his dwindling durability and uh, ascending age i think it's both b and c i think that hall you know he didn't need to do much to check that kick weidman was aiming for the kind of part of his calf that's on the front of the leg like on kind of the outside of the shin and all hall had to do was angle his knee out very very slightly but more importantly he leaned into the kick and Weidman ended up hitting him right below the knee, which is the hardest part of the shin. Um, Anderson Silva, it was slightly different, whereas Anderson Silva was aiming for the thigh, not the calf. And Weidman ended up lifting his leg and, and kind of giving him the knee to hit. And a bent knee is about as hard a surface as you can hit on a person's body. And it's kind of the same thing with the spot right below the knee. That is the probably the hardest, certainly the hardest part of your shin. Um, and, and the shape of it kind of makes that kind of break just a little bit more likely, but it's a freak accident. And your eye hall had the most subtle form of defense. That's all it took. Uh, I've checked calf kicks exactly like that several times where, you know, I just turned my shin out very, very slightly. And that's really all it takes. If all they hit is bone, you are not going to get hurt, especially if they hit the very upper part of your shin where for the guy, uh, the upper part of your shin is a lot less sensitive, a lot more dense than the very lower part. And unfortunately, Uriah Hall defended with the most dense part of his shin. Chris Weidman kicked with probably the most fragile part. And it was. It was a freak accident. It's unfortunate. We didn't get to see this one play out. And Uriah Hall, by the way, is making it a trademark to just like sit there and cry in the middle of the cage as he finishes his opponent and his opponent lays on the ground. Lays on the ground, Nikolai. I mean, in the cry, it was just, I, I thought Hall handled it all quite well. I know that no, a didn't. lot of our doesn't, do, do, uh, well, I know a lot of our dozens of listeners. Um, I don't, I don't fault that at all. I think it's, I can understand, I can understand why if, if cage fighting for someone is a, is a, is a personal test and results in an an, an emotional, an emotional catharsis. Um, you know, I've got, I've got no, I've got no problem with that. I'd rather, I'd rather see honesty and and vulnerability than posturing. I'm I'm um, absolutely there with you. And yeah, I was going to say for our listeners that train, listen, of, of the two of us, Stan is the martial artist. I have dabbled. And 
one of the things I most remember from dabbling is I was training with a, uh, I guess you would say a pro-am or an am kickboxer, uh, Mo, that, that Stan knows well. And Mo was, he was, he was a great trainer and he would, he would, you know, he would, he would spar a little bit and with, just to understand how much pain it can be generated and how fragile shins are with guards on, I threw a kick, uh, similarly positioned to what to the kick that Weidman threw uh to Mo with these big like fairly thick guards on and I threw it at maybe 50% maybe and Mo in the most lack of, not lackadaisical but f just effortless effortless slight movement checked the kick and threw both of us wearing those shin guards my shin exploded yeah. and had a, had a giant lump and a black and blue on it for 2 weeks um, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm guessing I was probably generating a, a, I don't know, a tenth of the force, uh, if that, 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 you know, that Weidman was. So it's, just, it really make, it really makes one, makes one cringe, but also just understand the, the weapons that these, the, that these men have and the precision, uh, and the risk, the precision needed and, and the risk involved, uh, when they execute strikes. Nick, here's the thing. I am not the biggest believer. Well, I should say I was not the biggest believer in the return on investment when it comes to leg kicks to the thigh. And the reason for that is that best case, you land that leg kick and most conditioned opponents are probably going to be okay. They probably won't sh- uh, show a whole lot of wear from that injury. The thigh's if you meaty. Kick it 10 times. Right. Yeah, it's a, right, the thigh's right. meaty. It's points. Yeah, it's points. Right. And, and, and here's the thing. And if your kick gets checked and you're trying to kick your opponent's leg, it's terrible. It can literally remove your ability to throw the kick from then on in that fight. Maybe for the next couple of weeks, you're probably going to be limping for a while. So I never really saw the value in that because... I mean, Aldo and Barbosa maybe. Well, look, Aldo was a special leg kicker, but if there was a really good leg checker... I mean, there's a reason Aldo doesn't throw leg kicks anymore, right? It's because he hurt his shin pretty badly. He had serious power in that leg kick. And I'm sure a couple of guys, whether it be in training or in fights, checked it. And that's really all it takes when you have that kind of power. You're going to hurt that shin, and it's going to become a recurring injury. And again, with with White, I mean, this is terrible. And Weidman's the kind of guy that if he was 45 years old right now on a 10-fight losing streak, he still would have vowed to come back sooner or later. So, look, I, uh, he's probably not going to be even the same to this extent. He looked in incredible shape, Nick. He clearly was doing a lot of strength and conditioning. I liked for him that he's been training with Stephen Thompson leading up to the fight against Uriah Hall. And that's the reason you and I, well, at least that's the reason that I picked him. And, and I, I kind of thought that he might have that big brother mentality against Hall, who he had beaten... In the past, even though Hall always had the chance to get that late knockout. But yeah, unfortunate for Chris. I wish him the best. I hope that Hall uh, can get back to it, get back to work. Because look, whether we like it or not, we got to count this as part of his win streak. And he is now on a four-fight win streak, uh, five and one in his last six. So he's in a really good place in his career. He needs to keep on trekking up. And quite frankly, he needs to uh, uh, become more active, Nick. Um, Who would you see Hall facing next, Nikolai, if it was up to you? That's a good question. I'm just diving into the rankings right now. I did not happen to have that tab open. Not cool, man. Um, not cool. Not cool. Let's see. I know. <laughs> Everything's working a little bit. A little. I feel like I'm on AOL back in the day where it's like loading and, and you got to wait three or four minutes before the internet even oh, starts no. and it's announced that you've got mail. Yeah, my internet's a little bit a little bit slow in here. Let me... 
Um, so at the bottom of the top 15, we've got Strickland, who's fighting this weekend, Brad Tavares, Kevin Holland, yep. Omar Ahmedov. And then obviously, uh, Uriah, you know what? Uriah Hall is number eight in the world right now. So maybe we should be looking more at like a Jack Hermanson. I don't know if he's scheduled. A Darren Till might well, be he is, interesting. He is. And that, that's actually the right move is the winner, the winner of Shabazi and Hermanson. Uh, is really interesting. Yes, I would go with either. I would go with either Strickland, but I think the winner of Shabazi and Hermanson is. Uh, I, I'm into that. Is really interesting. I think that's a good. I think that's a good fight. Yeah, because um, that person likely will be ranked above Hall. I think if Shabazian beats Hermanson, he's going to end up climbing just a little bit above Hall, possibly right below. So yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, if I was Uriah Hall, I'd be looking it? for a step up. Though I'd be looking for like a Derek Brunson or something. Jarek Hennanier, yeah, maybe I mean, if I was him. That's what I would call out. It, he. He could also, I mean, the Strickland fight's really interesting. The Shabazzian fight's very interesting to me. I know he's coming off of a pair of losses, but we haven't seen him in against Kevin Hall yet, right? And didn't they have some kind of beef? Uh, Kevin Holland? I don't know if they Kevin have, Holland, but, yeah. but but I feel like that would be a step down. He's number eight in the world right now. Kevin Holland barely belongs in the top 15. Um, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a step down. I would actually say the winner of Sean Strickland versus Jotko should face Kevin Holland because it would give Kevin Holland a break from the wrestlers, and it would give these guys the opportunity to, to inch up a little bit in the rankings. But we're going to get into, obviously, the next card. Uh, let's quickly, like, there were two le- weird leg injuries in this one, right? Two situations where like the fight should have probably continued if had if these injuries hadn't happened these freak unusual injuries and same thing happened with Jimmy Crute we've seen something like it before uh Jimmy Crute actually landed a bunch of calf kicks but they weren't having a quick effect on Anthony Smith Anthony Smith looked extremely sharp with his jab that thing was landing on the regular it was landing with some pop which I really love to see I love to see a guy at his point in his career developing and then one calf kick from Anthony Smith onto the outside of Jimmy Crute's calf, like like the, the almost outside of the shin part of the calf. And that was it, man. He wasn't able to engage his foot. He wasn't able to lift it to, to land onto it. Every time he put weight, Jimmy Crute uh, did on his left foot. Uh, it, it, it rolled his ankle. And the referee had no choice but to stop it. It was the weirdest thing, man. I would have loved to see this fight play out, given the dynamics there. And it's funny because I expected Jimmy Crute to be able to get takedowns against Smith and to be able to stay safe enough uh, not to get submitted like you know, like Anthony Smith was able to do in his last fight against Devin Clark. Unfortunately, the only thing that made Jimmy Crute shoot for a takedown was the fact that he was on one foot, and he just blast-doubled him twice like w- without any resistance, which is fascinating to me. Uh, I would love to see this fight play out, and I hope uh, Jimmy Crute is not injured. I'm not sure if we have an update on that, Nick, yet. Um, yeah, I looked. I, I tried to, to find it and Google around for that, and it didn't seem... Uh... You know, whether we, with the extent of the injury, whether his knee was blown or Dana White seemed to imply that it was, that his leg was messed up and that it was a knee thing versus a temporary. Oh, interesting. Um, wow, a knee versus thing. Versus a temporary, you know, nerve. Right. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, we can, uh, I can it, it I did can look, look to me in real time. It did look to me on the replay like there was a snap. Like you see that occasionally where a strike causes a ligament to tear. And then you almost see the muscle kind of snap back. It, it looked to me like that may have happened during that Anthony Smith kick onto Jimmy Crute. So I could see this being a serious injury, which sucks because Crute is a young guy, a promising light heavyweight, and we can use as many of those as we can possibly get right now. But uh, I, I do, again, I wish him a speedy recovery. I mean, here's the quote. He actually, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what he said was, he can't, he's, until he gets out of quarantine, uh, he can't, and it, he does say he can't get a scan, but he did say he was hit, they, it hit him in his perineal nerve 
and took out his whole bottom leg. But I think it's I think that once I think he ended up doing damage um, to his once leg. Once he rolled you know, the yeah, that makes once sense. He once rolled. he rolled on it, so he right. thinks he did a bit of damage to his LCL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe he's blown his ACL. Oh, he's always blown his ACL in the past, so he thinks he knows what ligament damage feels like. But yeah, he thinks he thinks his knee's jacked. Uh, so yeah, not, that, that sucks, sure. man. I'm sad to hear that. Again, for a young guy, I really want him to go out there, get his experience, and compete because I really think the guy has some potential. He's improved on his stand-up. He hits he way did. harder than he yeah. used to. His Brazilian jiu-jitsu has always been a strength for him. His wrestling is really coming together. Um, I, you know, Again, I, I, I look forward to seeing this kid return. I hope he does so soon. And then we had Randy Brown, who submitted Alex Oliveira. Oliveira, I mean, we got to say at this point, a fraction of his former self. He is 22-10 and 10 in this point nick he has two and five in his last seven fights uh really not at a good point in his career at all and randy brown looked really good he's always improving man i think his durability is always going to be a question mark because he's been knocked out a couple of times uh over the last few years but he's a talented offensive guy he's huge at 170 pounds uh easily as big as some of the bigger middleweights in the ufc and uh and yeah i look forward to seeing randy brown go back in there maybe face somebody kind of on the outside of that top 15 agreed let's quickly zip through this i thought that dwight grant got a gift of a decision against stefan sekulik uh which was another gift for I, you. I disagree i disagree I disagree. Really? I thought that he, right, I, thought, I thought he won the first and second rounds I, I thought he so was, you're saying two knockdowns in the active. second round doesn't was, win him that round he didn't know. He knocked him down twice in the third round. Not the I'm second pretty, round. I'm pretty sure it was the second round. Let me see. No, I'm, it was I'm, the I'm third looking, round. I'm looking at the stat. It's funny because they didn't even give him credit for a single knockdown. I, I think he like buzzed him badly. Nick, it was that second round. Rewatch that fight, and, and maybe we'll do a, a rewatch of it on a, on a week off or something, although this is not that important. Uh, but I, I really I really did think that Sekulik earned that uh, second round, although he clearly lost the first. But anyway, that's uh, beside the point. Brendan Allen submitted Carl Robertson. I think we largely expected that. Pat Sabatini looked good in his UFC debut as a, a depth grappler. Denat Batgarel looked good against Kevin Natividad, finished him in 50 seconds of the first round. I mean, you couldn't ask for any more. And then, Nick, we had this weird dynamic where Zhu Rong, Kui Leng Aruri, and Na Liang all didn't have their corners or their coaches with them because of visa issues. They ended up just like asking some local UFC real, uh, affiliated people to fill in and corner for them. And all three of them lost their bouts. Uh, Ariane Carnelosi, we expected to win. Uh, Jeff Molina looked really good on the counter. And Rodrigo Vargas showed that, you know, some UFC experience can go a long way, even if you're facing a prospect. Any thoughts on any of those, buddy? Just, it was a great, it was a, you know, great action fight. Like, Really, these were all fights that for the, having the first live crowd, and certainly I have feelings about you know whether the time is right or not. But the fact of the matter is that there was a different feeling during these fights and in the building, and they were some just some really, really exciting rock'em sock'em. Uh, they're exactly what you want from the prelims. You want unranked, unknown fighters out there making a name for themselves. So the next time they show up, they're must see TV. Agreed, man. Couldn't ask for really any more. It was a solid card, a bunch of finishes. No fight in the main card went past the second round, Nick. That's how nonstop action this thing was. Obviously, those couple of leg injuries, we, we would love to see those fights play out. But I'll, I'll take it, man. I'll, I'll take a damn good card if I can. Uh, Nick, let's take a break and come back. We're going to get into U- UFC Fight Night, Reyes versus Prochaska. Very excited about this light heavyweight main event between two uh, pretty formidable contenders, in my opinion, Nick. We'll be right back. 
back on the MMA Geek C-Level podcast to break down Reyes versus Prochaska. Nick, I am up by eight and a half points at this point. You and I actually tied on the number of points in the last event, even though I picked one more success uh, winning I, fighter than uh, you did. I thought I picked up a few more. Okay. Uh, you couldn't have. You only got three correct picks. I got four correct picks, if I remember correctly. But you got four points because you picked uh, an underdog, Nikolai, successfully. Uh, no, were... I got more than that's 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 not accurate. No, um, I had. No, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I went five and one with my picks. You went four and two with your picks. Four and two, we each, yeah. And we but I had, yeah, but I had a two-pointer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the, the Anthony Smith uh, freak-like injury, Nikolai, it really worked out for you. Uh, all of you know how this works. I hope Nick and I take turns drafting fighters on the upcoming UFC card. Whoever ends up with the highest number of winning fighters at the end of the week ends up getting the appropriated points. As of now, I'm eight and a half points uh, up above Nick. But anyway, let's get into this card. I have first pick this time, and for my first pick, I'm going to take uh, a person that I have believed in for a little while now. I, I really like her style. I, I like the little engine that could uh, kind of weigh about her, and I'm going to take Loma Lukbume to beat Sam Hughes. Uh, Hughes will be bigger, but that's about the only advantage she has here, in my opinion. Lukbume is a solid Muay Thai fighter with the kicks, elbows, and knees to prove it. Her clinch game is ridiculous, too, and she can throw a chick without much effort from that position. Those tie throws on her are pretty serious. She throws guys from that position. I like Luke Bumi to get a one-sided decision win here unless Hughes uh, wants out before the final bell. Yeah, um, this is going to be my first pick. Also, listen, Luma's just – she's shown where she could strike more. I don't think Sam Hughes has got the ability to necessarily ground her for 15 minutes. And let's just let's just be frank. Um, I know that she was in over her head a little, but you know Sam Hughes had. It seems like she's coming back awfully soon after Tisha Torres made her look like not a UFC caliber fighter. Yeah, she really did. I mean, she took that fight on short notice, and Tisha Torres is incredibly skilled and has been at the top for a long time. But yeah, this is this is not like I think the odds are too have... wide here because um, I think Sam Hughes has some skill, and and she's probably gonna have probably gonna have the ground game advantage. I'd imagine. I'm just not sure that she could get it there. So we're on the same page. I just um, think four. I just think four months is too quick. You know, four and a half yeah, months. I would have taken I that. more time because she took a, she took a fucking beating in that round. She um, did, man. All right, I'm going to go. What's your first pick? My first pick is uh, one you might have later, but I feel pretty good about this. Um, Listen, as much as I like uh, Cody Stammen, I think he's a gamer and a a good fun fighter to watch. I just don't, I don't, I think this is a, I think Marab Devashvili is a really bad fight matchup for him. Um, Stammen has has lost to a couple of, uh, you know, wrestlers uh, who can also strike a bit and Almajane Sterling and Jimmy Rivera. Um, And Devashvili hasn't, really looked beatable and hasn't really lost, um, you know, since his, his, you know, very, very, uh, early, uh, you know, his first two UFC fights were rough against Frankie science and, and Ricky Simone, but then he, you know, he figured it out and he's, and he's beat some high level guys in, in Casey Kenny and John Dodson. And I just, I don't think that, um, as good, as good a, a wrestler as Cody Stamen is, I don't think he's going to be able to stay on his feet in this fight. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm there with you. And this was going to be my next pick as well. I think we're on the same page on this one so far. Uh, yeah, Davish Feely is just a powerhouse when it comes to strength and conditioning. He's a powerhouse when it comes to 
well, it's funny. I say strength, strength specifically and conditioning specifically. Like he's just nonstop, right? Uh, way stronger than most 135ers. He averages eight takedowns per fight, which is ridiculous. I think he's going to have probably the bigger movement standing up, even if uh, for some reason Stamen's able to defend some takedowns. So I'm there with you. I like Marab to out-wrestle the wrestler, if only by pressuring him against the cage at times. He trains with Aljamain, so he knows what elite feels like. And Aljamain probably has plenty of intel for him on Cody's strengths and weaknesses since uh, Aljamain is one of Cody's losses. So I'm there with you, Nick. My next pick is going to be... I'm going to take Sean Strickland to beat Christoph Jotko. I... I, I We're think all lined up so far. We really are. Huh? Yeah, I, I think there's some risk with this pick because because Jotko's proven that he can be like crafty at times. Strickland is 22 and three, and Jotko is 22 and four, so extremely similar records. Both guys have performed admirably despite a few UFC losses. Both are on a three fight winning streak. Strickland is a sharper, more technical boxer, while Jotko is kind of a orthodox and herky-jerky and, and hard to figure out. Uh, Jotko's chin has been a, li- and a liability, and because uh, of it, he has said to kind of change his style to more movement-based. He's been a lot more careful about taking shots to the chin, moving his head a lot more. Uh, Strickland trains at Extreme Couture, uh, or at least for this one he did, and Jotko trains at American Top Team. I like Strickland's speed and technique advantage in this one. I don't think Jotko's movement will be enough to score him points on the feet, and I don't think he'll be able to rely on takedowns either. So I'm picking Sean Strickland to beat Christoph Jotko as my second pick. Um, yeah, that was mine. Here's where I'm just going to start to get stupid. I'm going to start to roll the dice. I'm going to pick an underdog because I want them points. Although I don't know if he's big a big enough dog right now. I bet he will be by fight night. Mm-hmm. I think... I think that Cub Swanson is going to beat uh, Giga Chikadze. I like it, um, Nick. Tell me more. No, no one else. No, well, no one else is going to pick this. And uh, Chikadze looked really aggressive in his last fight, and I like him a lot. He's a he's a really exciting fighter. But even this far into the game, like this is a big st- this is a big step up for for Giga Chikadze in terms of guy with fight IQ, guy with well rounded game. I'm not convinced. I'm I'm not convinced that Swanson. Um, can't catch him but i also think that uh i'm not convinced that swanson can't take him down i mean he is a a well-rounded he is a well-rounded mma fighter and i just don't see swanson getting washed out the way that like a diego sanchez would and i also think that he does have an eclectic mma game and if chikaze tries to hold back and play a, a point kickboxing game as he did in all fights before his last one um in this, you know, in this fight, uh, I don't think that 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 works out well for him. I, I just don't think Cub Swanson's going to go uh, gently into that good night, and that this is a bigger step up in competition for Giga Chikadze than people are are, uh, you know, realize. Yeah, Nick, I am there with you. I agree on the pick. I, really? Yeah, I am. I, I am very surprised. Okay. I love the version of Giga we saw against Omar Morales. He was aggressive and super fast, but I think there's a reason that that's one of the few fights in which he felt comfortable enough to be so offensive. It's because he knew there wouldn't be much risk of Morales taking him down because Giga will fear the takedown. I think his output will be low as it often is, right? He, he took this last fight on short notice against a wrestler who was making his UFC debut and he was extremely careful and extreme, like held his pistols in his pocket until that head kick was set up. Swanson will be able to pressure. I think um, Giga is fast, but Swanson is about as fast and has more power in his hands Giga is more durable, though. I like that Swanson trains at Team Evolution with some high-level coaches and training partners at this point in his career. Uh, 
while also getting the cardiovascular benefits of training 5,000 feet above sea level, right? That's going to be a factor here as well. I think the fact that Swanson will be comfortable just putting out numbers, putting out strikes. I think he pressures Giga and makes uh, for bigger moments on the feet. In addition to at least the threat of a takedown, if he can get top position, he should have his way on the ground. So I'm there with you. I think Giga probably doesn't have the best ground game. We saw him lose on contender series by getting out wrestled by kind of a mediocre opponent. And, Cup Swanson's really good on the ground, man. He's really good everywhere. And as long as his durability doesn't weigh on him, as long as uh, Giga doesn't land a big uh, head kick or something, I expect Swanson to do well in this one. Although I will say calf kicks. Swanson took a bunch of them in his last fight against Pineda before uh, his pressure kind of wore on Pineda. Um, so there's a chance that Giga can kind of take that route, but it's tough to do that as a southpaw against the North Dox fighter because you're more likely to hit his shin that, rather than his calf. So yeah, I'm there with you on this pick. My next pick... Surprise. Well, wait, 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 wait. I just want to wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Hold your Talk horses. I think we had a little delay on the audio. Um, uh-huh. I just want to also stress that for as long as Swanson's been around, let's look at his. I mean, the people in the last six and a half years that have beat Cub Swanson are Frankie Edgar, Max Holloway, both late, both in the last round of the of those uh, of those fights. Yeah. Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar again, Hinata Moicano, um, and then a, sp- a split decision uh, to Shane Burgos. Like he's not he's not really. I mean, with the exception of Burgos and what was a really, really great fight, these are, I mean, the high, the highest level of people, champions yeah, and And Burgos was like, a super close like, fight, by the way, and that was before he joined yeah, Team was. Elevation. So I'm there with you, yeah. Um, my next pick is going to be, I'm going to pick Poliana Botelho to beat Luana Carolina. Uh, both are solid Muay Thai strikers. Both are weak on the ground. I think Botelho is more explosive, has more power. Um and has a better ground game, so I'm picking her. Uh, I just feel like her training partners are better. I, I think she can even possibly get takedowns uh, if she wants to, and she has gone for them before. And Luana Carolina, I don't think she'll have much to answer there. So uh, there's a chance Carolina is a little bit taller. There's a chance she counters her and maybe out cardios her. But I like Botelli in this one. I did too, and that was my next pick. So we're, we're more or less lined up so far, though. I don't know how oh, or how, how soon recently you were going to pick. Swanson, uh, Swanson was um, going to be later for sure because the value isn't there on the uh, on the odds yet. Yeah, I do. Th- I think. Well, I'm predicting that 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 it's going to go in favor of Chikaze. I can uh, see it. In the odds, and I and I'm going to get a two point swing. Um, I guess uh, my next pick is I'm going to go with the guy I picked against uh, recently in his return back to the UFC, but he looks better than I thought he would. Uh, I'm gonna go with Justin uh, Dustin Jacoby to defeat Ian Kutalaba, and I also th- I think this is another underdog pick for me. It is, but not currently just plus one ten. Yeah, it's basically um, pick him. But but I also feel like this could this could uh, expand out a little bit too. I mean, he's as high as plus one twenty seven in other places. Um, listen, Kutalaba is only is really you know only trained for Ankalov in the over the last you know couple of years. Uh, has not looked, you know, his durability hasn't looked great. Uh, Ankalov didn't look fantastic in his last fight. I think he's going to be, um, I think he's going to be headhunting. And I think that Dustin Jacoby is, has um, picked up a degree uh, of craftiness and, and kind of reinvented his game and should be able to outpoint a headhunter, um, you know, in this fight if he can, if he can, you know, not get separated from his consciousness. Yeah, that's the tricky thing, right? Kutalava has plenty of skill and athleticism. Um, 
he has a Greco-Roman background, actually, that he almost never uses serious power in his hands, explosive when he wants to be, but he becomes significantly less dangerous as the fight enters the second round than he was the first round. Jacoby has solid striking fundamentals, a high-level kickboxing game. Uh, he actually used to compete in glory, trains at Factory X MMA under Mark Montoyo. He was knocked down twice in the first round of his last fight against Maxine Grishin, and Grishin's not known as the power striker that Kutelava is. Despite that, I like his jab, calf kicks, and his staying power to come through as he makes it through the first round before taking over the fight. But there is a risk there. Kutelaba is more skilled than I think a lot of people give him credit for, especially with how he was schooled in his last few fights in all of 2020 uh, against Uncle Live, who's a very serious contender at this point. But I'm there with you. It's It was later on my list because I see some risk in that first round, though. Um, and also the risk of takedowns if Kutelaba decides to take that route. And for my next pick... I'm going to take Kai Kamaka the third to beat TJ Brown. I know that like the odds are pretty close on this one, and I think that's because Kai Kamaka took that last fight against Pearson on very short notice, and he gassed out after five minutes, and I think a lot of people assume that he has a bad gas tank. He took that fight on a few days' notice just because he trained locally in Vegas, so I'm still a big believer in him. TJ Brown, is a, like he's fairly skilled everywhere, but he's not durable. His wrestling offense is probably his biggest strength. Kamaka was a blue-chip prospect until he took that last-minute fight against Jonathan Pearson. His cardio failed him in that fight, almost exclusively because he had days to prepare against Pierce, uh, who had a full camp. I like his power boxing and wrestling to put him back on track here. I think his output's going to be too much for TJ Brown. Uh, I'm with you. I had the same pick, and it was coming up shortly. I'm I'm going to go ahead and pick the main event. I think Jerry Prajaska is a particularly bad matchup for a Dominic Reyes coming off of a uh, you know a crushing crushing defeat. He has not fought since Blahovich, correct? Yes. Yeah, I think this is a. I mean, it's a uh, it's a tough draw coming out. You're going up against a guy who only has one other UFC fight against uh, Ozdemir. Yeah, it's kind of an all risk no reward situation for him. I think. Yeah, where he, he really starched him. Um, after having a run, you know, a run of knocking out ex-UFC guys in Risen, knocked out King Mo, knocked out Fabio Maldonado, knocked out C.B. Dalloway, and then knocked out Vulcan Ozdemir. One of those things is not like the other. Um, and he had been, you know, he did get the one time he was, I guess he's lost twice, but he did lose once um, to King Mo early on uh, in his career in his career. Well, actually not that early on in his career, but uh, about five years ago, six years ago. But I think, I think that he's, I think he's a tough style matchup. I think he's, uh, I think he's really unpredictable. Um, I think, I think that Reyes did not show the ability to adapt really well uh, against Blahovich. And he's had, uh, and he's had some very close fights. Um, yes, he looked great against against John Jones. Uh, John Jones isn't a very good boxer. Um, I think Yuri uh, Prochazka uh, is, and that I just sometimes I think Reyes's weakness, and we saw this in his fight with Ozdemir, which was razor sharp, and you got razor close, and you got and you and I um, watched that back uh, to to see how we would actually. Um, rescore it but I think that I think that Reyes occasionally can be uh, can be tentative and I think he's I think one of the strongest parts of his game is this is his kicking game 
and I think he's going to be re- I think he's going to be weary of the counter. I can see him I can see him just being sl- being slow to get started and if his head after that vicious KO and broken nose and losing a fight where he was favored heavily um you know if his head if his head is completely on straight then I think this this could be a real barn burner uh, of a light heavyweight fight and, and super interesting but we've <clears throat> we've seen him exposed on the feet uh, damaged on the feet uh, just a little bit and Prochaska is an intimidating he's an intimidating aggressive unpredictable guy I think that's a really tough draw uh, coming trying to come back from from what happened to Dominic Reyes last year yeah, I agree that it's a tough draw. We do, I think, have to give some credence to the fact that he lost to clearly the best light heavyweight on the planet, right? He leading up to that matchup uh, between Dominic Reyes and uh, Jan Black Blahovich, we thought that Jan Blahovich was kind of a journeyman who was having recent success. Since then, we've discovered that I didn't. Well, I mean, we like. Did you really think that he was the best light heavyweight going into that matchup? I know you picked him, and that was a great pick, by the way. But did you? I really, thought he was going to. I thought he was going to win the fight. Totally, totally. But um, but did you think that he was the best light heavyweight at the time? I mean, that's hard to say because if you're taking John Jones out of the conversation, well, I mean, he was in the conversation. But right. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I think even with John Jones in the conversation, and maybe I'm not sure if you agree with me here. I think Jan Blachowicz Blahovich is the best light heavyweight on the planet. Now, I didn't necessarily think so at the time, and granted, you believed in him more at that point than I did. I expected it to be a close fight. I didn't expect him to necessarily be able to finish Dominic Reyes. That was super impressive. But part of my point here is that Yuri is largely unproven, right? And so it's hard to really be confident given the fact that he's only had one fight against a top light heavyweight, and it was a fight that he was losing until he was able to set up and land that beautiful head kick, which then led into the finish. But... For the record, I agree with you. I agree with you on the pick. I ended up leaning toward uh, Yuri Prohaska for several reasons. Yuri has this weird style that's extremely difficult to deal with for most people. He will like keep one hand holding the other hand, and then out of nowhere, one of those hands hits you hits you uh, across the face. Right? Like he will wave one hand as the other hand reaches out and and, and gets you. He will do some weird funky movements to set up his offensive strikes and he'll land them. He's super fast. He's he's fairly explosive. He's got these pot shots that are pretty effective and hard to deal with, I think, for a lot of folks. He actually turned down his, a UFC contract much earlier in his career, Nick, because he didn't feel like he was truly ready. When he came to the UFC, he wanted to be ready to beat the top guys, and he's here. This is his time, right? He beat Vulcan partially by making Vulcan throw double the strikes he usually does. Vulcan usually throws between 40 and 45 significant strikes in the first round. He threw 83 against Yuri because of the pressure and speed of Yuri kind of made him feel like he had to throw in order to have success in that fight. And I think that was a factor in him eventually getting knocked out. And then at some point, Yuri goes into southpaw, lands a big leg kick, and then follows that up with a head kick. And obviously Vulcan expected the leg kick to come in and got his head blocked off. He essentially created a storm that Vulcan was not used to or in control of before surprising him with that head kick. Prohaska is going to be able to pressure Reyes to the cage. Reyes often is more of a kind of footwork guy rather than a guy that's going to press forward. Reyes has shown that he can slip and counter from there. I don't think Prohaska will be badly hurt by that counter left. Just so far, it seems like his chin is pretty solid. He was kind of semi-dropped a little bit by Vulcan in that first round. I think he'll try and counter Reyes' counters with two to three punches. And given what Reyes went through in that last fight against Bohovic, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Reyes has some trouble in that position. I realize that Reyes at this point will have a, a full training camp going into this, and he didn't have a full training camp going into that last one. Um, he's used to being the taller man, but Prochaska's about the same height with a three-inch reach advantage. Even though Reyes is three years older and has competed in more UFC fights, Prochaska has more than twice the amount of experience with 30 fu- 31 fights to Reyes's 14. Prochaska has shown a weakness uh, to the leg kick, and Reyes should be planning to throw plenty of those. Reyes is consistently throwing body kicks would give Prohaska second thoughts about throwing his right hand since that would mean his liver is exposed to the left kick for that moment. If that works, it'll reduce the risk for one of Prohaska's big weapons. I think Prohaska pressures Reyes with big, noticeable offense that I think judges will notice, right? And that's if it goes to decision. And I think that'll confuse Reyes. Reyes is the one who has competed in a five-rounder before, but I think Prohaska has the better gas tank and carries power throughout the fight, not just in the beginning. I think Reyes has trouble keeping up with Prohaska's pressure, um, and eventually eventually it gets to him. I know that Reyes has fought and lost to the two best light heavyweights on the planet, but I'm betting on Prohaska's ring time, conditioning, power, and durability to win out in a fun main event. I'm really looking forward to this one, Nick. I think it's yeah. going to produce the, other, the next challenger for the too. title. The other thing I think we need to watch is in the first round or so, Dominic Reyes' nose. Can he – like his nose was bad, was badly broken. I mean yeah, he's coming off two losses in a row, and his nose was badly broken by, by Jan Blahovich. Yeah. How many fighters have we seen once that nose gets compromised? If, if you know, Yuri Prochaska, I got to see his reach, but – if I remember, like he can he can sting you, um, you know, eighty inch reach, six four. He's a big dude. Um, if he if he tags that nose, even with just a straight you know power jab, um, it could it could the the fight uh, psychologically and physically for Reyes could change in an instant. And if if he gets put on his heels. Uh, by virtue of re-injuring that nose, he's going to be at a severe disadvantage. That's actually an excellent. Um, and I just have, point. I just, I just have a, I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling that when you're coming back and you and you want to test your nose, like this is a, this is a rough matchup uh, to see it to see if the shit's going to hold together. Yeah, I'm there with you, and and I'm looking at the dates here. They were originally scheduled to have this fight back in February. That definitely is not enough for that nose, man. I know my nose has been broken in the last couple of years, and it's been broken several times over the years, but particularly in the last couple of years. And it took me a little while to get to a point where I felt very comfortable taking shots to the face, where I didn't feel like I had to give extra protection to my nose, where I didn't feel like, you know, the 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 healing process was being interrupted by the fact that I'm taking strikes to the head. And, and yeah, you're right. It's only been about six months. So I would not be surprised if that becomes a factor, especially with Prohaska's kind of blitzing offense, the way that he throws those big combos with his opponents, uh, with their back against the cage. Yeah. I, I think there's a good chance here that Prohaska comes out, looks like a superstar. But again, we have to consider that Prohaska was losing that first round to Vulcan Ozdemir. Um, granted, so did Reyes in that first round, but you know Prohaska found a way to finish him, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case here. I, I actually think that Vulcan Ozdemir is a more composed fighter than Dominic Reyes is. I think Reyes won that fight, but old, I, fe- I feel like Ozdemir is a little is a little uh, more unflappable than than Reyes is. We've seen, you know, we've we've seen. Um, you can kind of right. read what's going through Re- Reyes' head. 
when Reyes is in uh, sequence disadvantages, disad- sequences uh, that are disadvantaged. Oh my God! When he's at a disadvantage <laughs> positionally, right? Uh, when he gets when he gets tagged, like Reyes's poker face is not great. Volcano Ostemir is a, is he's a, a fucking marine. Like you, you uh, you know his 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 expression does not change whether he's throwing offense like taking offense or getting knocked unconscious. Like he, he looks pretty much exactly the same. Right. You know, Reyes, I worry about Jiri just seems like a crazy person a little bit. So I, I don't know exactly psychologically where he's at. If he's as nuts as like, uh, uh Michelle Vajaya or, uh, you know, or what, but he, he, he definitely, uh, if there's any psychological games in the early part of this fight, I think that all of that stuff benefits, uh, Prochaska. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And here's the thing. I expect Prochaska's probably going to finish if he wins this fight. The guy is on an 11-fight win streak. His last nine are by knockout. 25 of his 26 wins have been via finish, 23 of them by knockout. So the guy does not see the judges' scorecards. He's never seen the judges' scorecards outside of one occasion. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that may have been a two-round fight in kind of a tournament setting. And I believe that's the only time he's gone to the judges' scorecards. And again, this was a fight that wasn't allowed to go to the third round. So yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in Prochaska. I'm coming. I'm hoping he comes through here. But also, if Dominic Reyes can earn a well-deserved win here, then he's right back on track. Then he's back in a good place. Then he's shown mentally that he recovered. Yeah, from right. That. I mean, <clears throat> Reyes is great. Reyes is great. This is a very. This is just a. This is a tough draw. It's a really good fight. And yes, whoever wins this fight should be in line for a match uh, potentially after uh, after the Glover. Um, champ, you know, championship out. But I got to believe Petrozka's. I think early on in the first like ninety seconds of this fight, his strategy is going to be to expose the nose. I think he's going to be jabbing the shit out of that. Yeah, and to be honest, he kind of goes for those kind of shots anyhow. So you're like, even if he doesn't think of that, right? Yep. That nose is going to be neck. I think you made a great point there, Nick. And by the way, I do want to say quickly, Prochaska at these odds. It's not a bad bet to make at minus 130. Either put him in a two fighter parlay or just lay it straight at minus 130. The odds are close enough. I think it's worth an investment. And honestly, I would even consider Prochaska by finish, but I think the odds are only like plus 130 on that. So you might as well just uh, not take the risk and, and put the minus 130 straight bet down. Uh, my next picnic is going to be in the Luana Pinheiro Ronda Marcos matchup. I know usually you're the one picking the, the the female fighters. I think I've got all of them at this point uh, uh, for this event. I think I've drafted all three. Um, Marcos is a journey woman. Who's, well, you took you made the first the, my first you took the first pick, which was the female fight, and I would have damn taken. right you damn right I did. Uh, Marcos is a journey woman who's kind of decent everywhere, but has a pretty solid ground game. She's fought some of the best in the world and rarely won. Uh, Pinheiro seems like a real prospect between her judo black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, and the power in her right hand. She's got consistent lateral footwork to stay out of danger, and she's very fast and explosive when she decides to attack. Um, she's actually finished most of her opponents. Luana trains with people like Claudio Godelia and Mateos Nicolau, who recently came back to win his UFC return against Manel Kopp. I'm picking the prospect to get past the gatekeeper here. She has several ways to finish and advantages and everything but experience, so I, I like her chances here. There's a there's a, a chance, I guess, that she gets outcrafted, but I like her odds, and that's another bet. At minus 160, she's a good person to put into a parlay or two, uh, and, and I don't like usually like to put together parlays of more than two fighters. What are your thoughts, buddy? Interesting. Did you have Marcos now? Um, no, it's. I mean, this is a tricky. It's a tricky fight to pick. I, geez, Marcos is ten, ten, one at this point. Um, 
hard to see hard to see where her or to understand kind of where her head's at um she had been rotating wins and losses and then i think re- fairly recently went into kind of a tailspin of losses um what was her last what was her last victory I think she's actually on a three-fight losing streak, which is rare for her. She usually goes win-loss, win-loss, like you just said. Yeah, that's um, what I that's what I thought. Yeah. She, she's in a bad place at this yeah, point. Yeah, she's on a three-fight. She's in a bad place. I yeah, I'm not, I was I'm not gonna go. I wasn't gonna go with her. Um, for the next pick. Oh man, we're getting down to the tough ones, huh? Oh boy. I'm going to go with uh, Gabriel Benitez uh, over Jonathan Pierce. I think that I, I just, I think Benitez, although he's definitely, I wouldn't call him a prospect. You know, he's kind of a, a he's kind of a journeyman uh, with the, with those eight losses, but he's just been in there and fought people and defeated some people that are a higher level than what Jonathan Pierce uh, has been able to deal with. If I remember correctly, I didn't watch any recent tape of him, but he's got pretty good kicks, right? Is that yeah? Benitez has a really good left head kick. He's a southpaw, very fast. Yeah. Um, so I see him. Uh, I see him probably taking out you know Jonathan Pierce, a guy who, um, if I'm correct, law. I mean, lost to lost to Joe Lozon not that long ago. He did. He basically got kind of caught in his UFC debut out of nowhere, very early in the fight, and then couldn't really recover, which is why he was such a big underdog against Kai Kamaka the third and man Kai Kamaka is a huge win man I think he deserves a little bit more credit for that than to just kind of factor in his uh, UFC debut loss um I actually disagree with this pick not by a lot it's by very little um I think a lot of people including me sometimes underestimate Gabriel Benitez and maybe this is one of those situations Benitez is crafty fast and has a serious left kick but I think Pierce should be able to avoid getting caught with a big shot as he pressures Benitez against the fence before getting takedowns I like Jonathan Pierce to beat Gabriel Benitez by a competitive decision, but this is not one that I'm at all feeling strongly about. This was literally one of my last two picks on the list. And part of the reason that I had that pick is because I think Jonathan Pierce is a good value at plus 165 uh, as far as our betting competition goes. And since we get double the the points for a decent-sized underdog, you know, he kind of falls into that category. So I I don't feel strongly about this, especially since it's not my pick. But if it was my pick, I would have taken Pierce because of the value. My next pick is going to be in the Luke Sanders Philippe Corrales matchup. Corrales is one and two in the UFC, suffocating Brazilian Jiu Jitsu if he can get on top. Decent takedowns, not very athletic nor well rounded. Sanders has a wrestling background. He's explosive as he moves forward with big combos, but he's not at all durable. That man's chin is as fragile as the thinnest piece of glass you've ever held in your hand. I don't think Corrales has the power to hurt him or the wrestling to get top position consistently. But Luke, Luke's hard to trust after the many banana peels he stepped on in the UFC between his four losses. In almost every case, there were fights in which he was doing well, and then everything just turned uh, you know, against him. So not extremely confident, but I, I like Luke Sanders here based on the saw matchup. Yeah, this is neither of these guys is really UFC level. Uh, oof. I'm, uh, I guess I'm with you with Sanders over Kolaras. I don't really think there's a vic- I don't really think there's a winner here. I hear that. Are we down to the last one? We are. You have the last pick and it's funny because, uh, the odds are pretty wide on this last pick, but it's clearly the one that you and I are not at all confident about. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's uh, it's Bular versus uh, Andres uh, Michelitas, right? Yep. 
Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, the odds are pretty wide. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just cast cast my lot uh, with the odds makers and take uh, Andres uh, Michelides. Yeah. Um. I again because of the value, I ended up writing in that I will pick KB Bular. Uh, if I have to be the one to make this pick. And it's mostly because Michaelitis, as powerful and explosive as he is early, doesn't really have the gas tank to keep that going. And I like Boulard, who has the height, reach, and cardio advantage. Um, you know, as long as his chin can make it through the first few moments, he's going to be okay. And here's the thing. For the record, he lost to, like, an elite, elite opponent in his UFC debut, and I think he took that fight on short notice. I believe it was Sean Strickland, right, that knocked him out. So not a whole lot to be ashamed of there. Um, actually, you know what? It wasn't Sean Strickland. Hold on. It was the other Sean Strickland. This is a guy that I always mix up with Sean. Hold on. Who was it? It was uh, Tom Breeze, the other Sean Strickland. That is literally how I feel about him. Um, you know, getting beat by Tom Breeze is not necessarily the most egregious thing in the world so i i i like him given the odds but uh easily easily could be a michaelitis first round knockout well we will see last one yes sir uh so we each have six picks a piece real quick my first pick was loma lugbume second i took sean strickland third poliana botelio fourth kai kamaka the third fifth Luana Pinheiro, I hope I'm pronouncing her name somewhat correctly. My sixth pick was Luke Sanders. Your first pick was Mirab Devashvili. Second, you took Cub Swanson to beat Jika Jakadze. Third, Dustin Jacoby. Fourth, you got Yuri Prohaska in the main event. Your fifth pick was Gabriel Benitez to beat Jonathan Piers. And finally, Adrian Michalaitis was your final pick. Uh, Nikolai, a little bit of MMA news to discuss Malki Kawa and his brother Abraham Kawa have officially split from John Jones after a weird situation in which they presumably were involved or were supposed to be involved in negotiating John Jones' uh, upcoming matchup against Francis Ngannou, the big money fight for Jones, and obviously that didn't go well one way or another. Uh, the Kawas claimed that John Jones was handling all those negotiations. What are your feels on this, Nick? I mean, those guys have always seemed. Like, you know, there's a certain element that gets attracted to the fight business yeah. and, and, and management. And he wants a percentage. And, and you don't quite know what they do sometimes. Um, I I mean, I think it's good for Jones and bad for them. But uh, I just, it's hard to understand what, what Jones is like, even wants to do with his career uh, at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jones never fights again for the record. But here's my view yeah. on this, right? This whole situation with the Kawas. The Kawas manage both Derek Lewis and John Jones, right? Those are the only two people, as far as we can tell, who are eligible to fight Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight championship of the world. How in the fuck, holding all the cards, did they fuck this up for John Jones and let Derek Lewis have it? Yeah, I. who knows? We don't know what we don't know. But, but but this is this is why like you're right these are like skeevy sleazy mofos who are handling fighters careers for the most part a lot of these managers are and uh, they're just more examples of it I would not be shocked if John Jones never fights again because um, now he's in this weird position where by the way John Jones put out a tweet basically saying like where did the UFC get this 30 million number I never said that which is part of what uh, is fuming 
fan speculation to the idea that the cow has fucked this up, whether it be intentionally or otherwise, I'm not sure. But just like a weird dynamic, a weird situation. Also, in MMA news, Conor McGregor donated 500k to a charity other than Dustin Poirier's. Actually, a charity in Dustin Poirier's hometown. And Dustin Poirier, being the gentleman that he is, is happy for it. I give him props. Yeah, exactly. It's glad, I'm glad that I'm glad the feud over the charity donation is over, and that won't be in the sizzle videos. And the, <laughs> I yeah, I, I can only hope that that won't be next. That, that, but yeah, Conor McGregor was put into this weird position. By the way, just real quick before we get out of here, did you hear about Conor McGregor buying that bar where he popped that old man in the face? I did. And did you hear what he did shortly after buying the bar? No. He banned the old man that he popped in the face. Fucking unbelievable. Uh, in any case, Nick, on that note, yeah, we're, we're, we're all done here. Uh, next week, you have UFC Fight Night, which is supposed to be San Diego versus Joe Lazzaro. Unfortunately, we're going to talk about that.